Welcome in everyone to episode 112 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with co-hosts David and Matt. Uh, today we got a bunch of trades have happened over this past uh, week or so, or past couple weeks actually. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays signed uh, three players to extensions. Uh, we had another extension take place and the Astros finally hired their general manager. Uh, but before we jump into all of that, Matt, we missed you last week. So how you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, I uh, hated that I wasn't able to make it last week, but with uh, with the recording being on Wednesday, that's a tough day for me. So um, i uh glad to be back this week. Uh, everything's been going pretty good. And, uh, I'm ready to talk some baseball, get into some trades. How are you doing, David? I'm doing all right. It's pretty busy, pretty busy time, but uh, you know, with work and starting to study for the PE, doing some other stuff, so... It's been a, a a busy week, but a nice one. And we got to talk about the Hall of Fame last week. And, uh, you know, this week we're just going back to the moves, kind of wrapping up the offseason, getting ready to start the, the baseball season. So, uh, Damien, how are you doing before we get started? I'm doing pretty good myself. Um, you know, I had a decent week after the chaos we had some last week and then getting the Hall of Fame uh, voting out of the way. So here, to, like you mentioned, wrap up that kind of final episode really before the off season ends and we get into spring training and looking forward to the 2023 season. But, uh, you know, overall doing pretty well myself, but, uh, you know, wanted to go ahead and jump to Matt here to start the episode. You weren't here for uh, the hall of fame episode last week. So why don't you give your thoughts on the voting and, and kind of what you thought of that whole scenario? Yeah. Um, you know, I was not, I don't, I don't love the way that the voting went this year, but it was better than it has been the last few years. I think that, um, um, congrats to Scott Rowland. He was a deserving Hall of Famer. Um, he, I, I was, I, I'm a little surprised he actually got in, honestly, because of just, you know, overall counting numbers and stuff that the a lot of the more um, old school uh, balloters vote for. But he was easily a Hall of Famer when it comes to just the metrics and how good he was all around as a player. Great offensive player, great defensive player, good base runner for for somebody that was you know, a third baseman, um, you know, he, he's a world champion, you know, super, super good player, um, deserving of the hall of fame. Uh, so congrats to him. Um, you know, and, and I was a little encouraged by a few guys who moved up on the ballot. I've been long of the opinion that Andrew Jones is not being in the hall of fame is a travesty and, uh, he's gotten a lot closer and it sounds, seems like, you know, based on previous voting and where guys are at at certain years, it seems like he's probably going to get in. Todd Helton is going to be really close too. Um, he had a good year on the ballot. Um, you know, I think uh, Billy Wagner. Um, you know, he's a he's a shot still. And then, uh, you know, Carlos Beltran's a guy who, his first year on the ballot, went pretty well considering the the recency of that cheating scandal with the Astros. So. Um, I think it's pretty cool that, um, you know, that maybe some of the voting is going to get a little bit better here going forward. And we might see some of these guys get, get inducted in the next couple of years. So I guess we'll have two Hall of Fame inductees this year and, and Scott Rowland being on the traditional ballot. And then, of course, Fred McGriff being on the uh, the um, the Veterans Committee. So um, definitely better than the zero that I think we were kind of expecting. Don't forget about Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer too. Both guys. Yeah, they'll be they'll be yeah. on there next, starting on the ballot next year. So I was talking to kind of guys who were on this yep. year, but but yeah, definitely Adrian Beltre is a shoe in. He should be unanimous. But I mean, I'm sure somebody won't vote for him because they're dumb. But he's he should be unanimous. Perfect. Absolutely, he should be. 
But uh, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, the moves we've happened or that we've had happen over the past couple weeks, and we'll go ahead and start with probably the biggest move, uh, and that's with the uh, the Miami Marlins and Minnesota Twins striking a trade. Uh, the Marlins it had been rumored for a long time that they were going to trade Pablo Lopez back to I believe a couple deadlines ago, and then into last offseason didn't happen. Up to this deadline, got a lot of rumor or a lot of traction. Nothing ever happened, and uh, late into this offseason, the Minnesota Twins were able to gain some traction on that. Uh, so the Twins acquire Pablo Lopez, uh, shortstop prospect Jose Salas, and outfield prospect Byron Chirillo, while the Miami Marlins acquire uh, batting champion Luis Arise. So this is uh, an odd trade. Damian and I had the same reaction when we sent this this trade into the chat, and it was... Wait a minute. The Marlins are giving up more than just Pablo Lopez for Luis Arias, um, which is really funny to me. Arias is awesome. He's a completely different type of player than than pretty much anybody is playing in baseball these days, right? He's the antithesis of the you know the power hitting slugger type DH guy. He's a walk more than you strike out, never strike out contact hitter, but who hits with really good exit velocities and can, you know, sustain a reasonably high batting average on balls in play, um, you know, to the point that he just generates a lot of value from a lot of contact. Great leadoff hitter, great guy to have at the top of your lineup. But, you know, Pablo Lopez has been, is 26 years old, and he's the, the type of pitcher that I've felt was maybe a, slight pitching tweak away maybe some a change with the shape of his slider or you know just something where he's like a tweak away from being just absolutely an ace and you know for at least a guy who's been able to throw 180 innings last year i i just have a very difficult time in paying more than just him for Luis Arias right i mean I, if anything i really felt like the twins should be adding to Arias to get to lopez but both of these guys just came off of their career best seasons. Their values have not been higher uh, in their career. And the projection systems have Arias being better than he was last year and Pablo Lopez being worse than he was last year, which would fall in line with the way that the two teams valued these trades. I don't know that I would agree with the projections. I think I'd kind of lean towards Pablo Lopez, either emulating what he did this year uh, if he gets the innings or increasing and be, you know improving on that because he did have an ERA higher than his FIP. But Arias, you know, the, the projections like him to be a, a higher war player than he was ever in his career. And I don't know, man, I, I just don't know that I agree with that. But, you know, this is a this is a fun trade. Marlon's actually making a move and making a move for a major league player. That's exciting. Uh, we'll see what, what else they have to offer. But I'll let Matt touch on the other you know kind of aspect of this trade. Yeah. So, um, you know, to, just to touch on what you were talking about, I think that. I've watched a lot of Pablo Lopez as you know somebody who watches a lot of National League East games, and I think he's good. I don't think he's an ace. I think he's more of like a – I think he's a good number three for a, for a good rotation, and that's exactly what the Twins need is just pitching depth. I mean they were about to run out some not super good arms to start the season, so they needed this guy. And, and the Marlins have so much young pitching that they could afford to deal a piece if it returned major league talent as they're close to being ready to compete, but maybe not quite there yet this year uh, with all their young, you know, upper minors guys like, like, you know, or, or, or 
new call-up type guys that they have. So, uh, you know, Pablo Lopez is a guy. He's not going to strike out a ton of guys, but he's got pretty good control. Gets the ball on the ground decently well. Doesn't give up a ton of hard contact. He's your tip, prototypical innings eating number three. He never has really eaten that many innings. Is kind of the, the struggle with him is like his career high is 180 this past year. But before that, he'd only made 21 starts in a season in 2019 and, and, and 20 starts in 2021. So he's dealt with, uh, you know, I don't know if it was injuries. I don't, I don't really remember. But he, he hasn't been like the most reliable guy to be there every start. And then... Uh, you know, you look at Arias as a guy who I think he's going to come down to defensively because the Twins were DHing him a lot, and I mean, if he can play a, a average or, or close to average second base, then I think Arias is going to be a really, really good player for Miami. And but if he DHs, then you kind of gave up a really solid rotation arm for a DH plus giving up more, which the more do it is. Um, Jose Salas, who is a 19-year-old shortstop, made it up to high A this year, and uh, I think Fangraphs actually had him on their top 100 this year, but uh, or, or at the end of last year, and uh, he was pretty good in 2022. Had solid numbers at at, high, at a low A, and then went up to high A to finish the season, and it was it wasn't great, but he's also he's 19 years old, so maybe fall, fell off a little bit. Um, he only hit had an 88 WRC plus at high A. But he, you know, he's young for the age and stuff, or young for the uh, level and stuff. So we'll see what happens in 2023 uh, with him. But he is somewhat of a, you know, an interesting prospect at least. And then they also gave up uh, Byron Churio, who is a very young 17-year-old switch hitting outfielder, and he's got pretty good size, and he crushed it in the Dominican Summer League last year in 51 games. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with those guys. Uh, I was a little surprised that they gave up. I, honestly, I felt like Arias for Pablo Lopez was a pretty fair, just straight-up you know, split, but um, trade, you know, if you just traded the two of them. But um, definitely interesting to see maybe you know what, what ends up coming out of this and which one of these guys ends up being more successful next year. Yeah, the head scratching. So this move just it didn't make a ton of sense to me either way. Um, you know, you're acquiring Arias as for the Marlins. Um, you're you know taking your second baseman Jazz Chisholm, who was ironically just announced as the MLB the Show cover today, uh, and you're moving him from second base to center field, a position he's never played. When you already have a ton of outfielders as it is, and you're trying to play him at second base where the Twins have already failed to play him at and then tried to put him at first base and found out he was still bad at first base as well. Um, and now your, your second, third and shortstop uh, lineup as it stands right now is a rise at second, Joey Wendell or Jordan Groshans at short and Gene Segura at third. Like that you have two or three of those people who shouldn't be playing any of those positions. Like it, it's head scratching to say the least there. Um, and then looking at the, the twin side, I mean, it's great. They get, they get that pitcher. Um, or I think it's mainly it'd be from the, the Marlin side because Salas is a guy who I really, really think can be a really good player. He's one of my prospects in our dynasty league that David and I are in. Um, like you mentioned, he was the top 100 guy. He was at 83 overall in the, the fan graphs rankings coming into this or at the end of last season. Um, there's a lot of power that he can grow into there. Plays a, a solid enough shortstop he might have to switch to second base long term but um a guy who i really really enjoy uh watching some you know the the little bit i've been able to see i, I think this trade is by far 
a win for the twins. Derek Falvey just did an amazing job on this one in, in my eyes. Yeah. And uh, for what it's worth, uh, Byron Churio is not related to Brewers prospect Jackson Churio. Just, I, I had to take a look for that one. They're spelled the same, but they are different. Churio does have a brother, but I believe he's in the Twins organization. Well, there you might go. Be the, might, be the, might be the Guardians organization. I, I'd have to double check. Yeah, I think it's Guardians. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jason Churio is the Guardians. He's, he is Jackson's brother, but Byron is not a member of that family. So. There you go. Sheesh. Sucks. But anyways, the Twins, that was not the only trade they made this week. Um, They went on to acquire uh, outfielder Michael Taylor from the Kansas City Royals uh, for left-handed pitcher Evan Sisk, I think is how you say it, and right-handed pitcher Steven Cruz. Yeah, uh, Michael Taylor is a very, 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 very good defensive outfielder. uh, And, you know, throughout his career – um, he's put up fantastic metrics there with the bat. He's not great. Um, even although this past year he was close ish to league average with the bat, like he was 90 WRC plus, which isn't great, but it was close ish. And he also cut his strikeout rate a lot this past year, which is nice to see. He's always been a really high strikeout guy. And without having a ton of power, that's kind of a, um, really not good but uh but the, the he did have that 90 wrc plus this year um put up a his second best um uh, own base percentage of his career he's got some speed um this guy is a perfect fourth outfielder and you know good defensive replacement and if you get end up with a situation like byron buxton being injured which seems to come up about every you know like couple weeks during the season um then you know you got a guy who you at least feel like is a major league caliber player coming out there to to uh you know to, to fill in for him so um you know and he's not he's not going to cost he's really not going to cost you much defense even from Buxton as, as good as Buxton is out there so um you know we'll see uh we'll see what happens with this I don't think it's a huge huge deal and I don't think it you know automatically makes the twins a much better team but they added some good depth which is nice to see yeah people were you know, calling for Michael A. Taylor to the to the Cubs before they signed Cody Bellinger this offseason. And I, I delved into this move a little bit early on, and I just did not want him to be my starting center fielder, right? But in the role that Matt just described as the fourth outfielder, I think he's a perfect fit. You'll look at this Twins lineup, and with Joey Gallo in one corner, Byron Buxton in the other corner, you have enough out- offense there to – rather easily supplant the below average bat that Michael A. Taylor is going to bring. You know, he doesn't have to be spectacular on at defense. He uh, he's certainly starting to decline a little bit. He was not as good as he was in 2021 last year uh, defensively. But, you know, yeah, this like you said, this is a guy who is going to bring that defensive value, kind of like Kevin Kiermeyer signing for the Blue Jays this year as well. He's, he's jumping into an already crowded outfield, and he's just going to provide that stability when you know that you have hyper-athletic guys like Byron Buxton, you know, a guy who slumps a lot in Joey Gallo. He can always come in here and just kind of even the playing field. Right now, Max Kepler is still on the Twins. That could change, and we could get into a Max Kepler trade. Uh, he's theoretically available. But you, you've got those four guys. I think that's a really strong outfield, and, and the Twins have made – really good moves this week to try to close that gap between them and the guardians. 
Yeah, part of me wonders if they end up looking, you know, if they even if they do trade Kepler, they still have Trevor Larnack who's on the bench as well. Right, and um, Kirilov. And well, Kirilov will probably play first now that Arise is gone. Yeah. Um, but they they even have Nick Gordon who was DHing for them who could play outfield as well. But uh, part of me wonders if this move isn't a thing to put Michael Taylor in center field and then make Byron Buxton your primary DH. Hey, don't even worry about going out there on the field and. I mean, yeah. you might we might be able to throw you out there once or twice a week, but most of the time we're just going to have you DH and stay off your feet and just worry about being the dynamic hitter that we know you can be and not sacrifice yourself on the field because that's where a lot of his injuries are defensively. You know, him all out diving into walls or running full speed into walls or or something along those lines. Um, you know, if you put him at a full-time DH when he's actually healthy and let him just go to work there, I think you see the offensive production pick up there. Would, not yeah, as much on the on the defensive side of it. I would not do that. <laughs> it's it's but, tough because he's so good in the outfield and in center field specifically, right? I mean, this is a guy worth sixty six outs above average, sixty eight defensive runs saved in his career in center field since twenty fifteen. I mean, he has been a, a well above to elite hitter there his whole career or fielder there his whole career, and that's with being a dynamic player at the plate. And in the limited time of his injuries, you know, I just, I hate to give that up. And Taylor, while good, is aging and he's not going to be nearly as effective as Buxton out there. I do think Buxton could be moving to left field to try and mitigate the strain of playing yeah. center field and, and allow him to be a little bit, you know, still allow him to play that outfield well, but without that added strain of having yeah. to cover both gaps. Yeah, and maybe maybe you give Buxton a little bit more rest. This this allows you to have enough depth to maybe like you know give him a couple days off you know here and there. But I mean Buxton Buxton's a really good hitter, but like when you look at his career, I mean he's not a good enough hitter to be an elite DH. I mean he's a good hitter, but like you know you're uh, you're putting him in the outfield. He's a very good hitter, but outside of 61 games in 2021. Like his his last I mean, three years, he's been over one twenty WRC plus. I think right, he's, but it's a, I think small, he's a great hitter at this point. He, he's a very good hitter, but like for ADH, is he like an elite yeah. hitter for for ADH? Yeah, if you he's sitting games, like he, he was his last year, three years in ninety two games, he, he just hit twenty eight homers. Yeah, like well, could you imagine what he would do if he had a hundred and fifty games? Well, he had a he had a one thirty six WRC plus in twenty twenty two, which is a very 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 yeah. good number. But he was also dealing with a knee and, injury and an ankle injury. Yep, That's what, right. Like, but my thing is, is if yeah. he's not having to deal with those injuries from playing in the outfield all the time, and you just put him at DH and say, "Hey, just worry about this for now." Yeah, I mean, I, you're. I feel like you're sacrificing so much defense by putting him at DH. I mean, like David said, maybe play him in left field a little bit, maybe DH him once or twice a week you're to not save sacrificing his body, but... anything when he doesn't play. Yeah. Well, I mean, in his last, if you're if you're telling me that if I'm going to be able to DH Byron Buxton and I get 150 games, or I'm going to let Byron Buxton play the outfield and he's going to average what 70 games over the last four years, I'm taking yeah. the 150 games over the half of that just so he can play. A he will. He will put Byron Buxton. Byron Buxton will put up more WAR by playing 92 games in the outfield than he will 150 I, games as a DH. I'm, I don't, I don't give a shit don't about, about war that. in this scenario. Okay. Whatever <laughs> I you just, say. I want Byron Buxton in my on my on the field okay. for me. I want to I, I want Byron Buxton to play to his full potential, which is being the best outfielder in baseball, best center field defender in baseball well, while being a really good hitter as well. But let's just Byron Buxton's last two seasons, 2021 and 2022. 
636 plate appearances, which constitutes about a full season, 47 homers, a 150 WRC plus. That's combined both seasons, including the 170 in 2021, but also the the more down in 2022. I don't know that you could get that out of him in one season, but if you suppress those numbers a little bit, 130 WRC plus, 35 homers or something, that is a really good DH. And if he could moonlight as an elite defensive left fielder, I, I do think that you would see a an increase in overall production from Byron Buxton. I mean, may, may, maybe if the, maybe you see an increase in production at the plate over a long, you know, counting stats wise. But like, like I say, I, I just I cannot imagine that the Twins would play the best defensive outfielder in baseball as a DH for five days a week. I just can't imagine that happening. I might be wrong, but I just think that would be. Well. Like crazy. Would, would you would you rather not have that guy play then? If I got ninety two games of an elite elite five tool player or one hundred fifty games of a good DH, I would take the elite elite player for ninety two games. That's that's tough because you know it depends on what like if it's if it's the first ninety two games of the season, right? I I'd, I'd rather have Buxton in the playoffs. It, you know, I'd rather have a healthy Buxton when it comes down to October more than I'd rather Buxton be on the bench, even though he put up five war in 92 games, but it didn't matter, right? Uh, like he's thing, not, he's not there is, for me in the playoffs. Thing is that at this stage, the twins aren't good enough to, for him. They not, can make the playoffs. I mean, and if you make the can, playoffs, you need, they Buxton. can make the, they can make the playoffs, but they need Buxton to be able to make the playoffs because I mean, look at last year. They I mean, would they need had, him to be healthy then. Correct. Right. He, he got hurt and they went down. Right, he but, got hurt August twenty I mean, second, and they, they went. Down they were after not. That. They were not even going to be in first place on August twenty second if if Buxton was he, de-aging he, the aging. He time. was well hurt before that. Anyway, yeah, he, right, but he I mean, hurt his knee in like May. Yeah, did he get hurt diving into a base or something? I think right. Was, yeah, and I think he, he got hurt on base yeah. his, too. His the, hopefully the bigger bases do give him a little more cushion in his slides and stuff where he's more safely in. I mean, he, you, you could tell he just stopped stealing bases too. only 15 stolen bases in the last two years. And this is a guy who could easily go 40, 40 if he was healthy for a full year. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just tough. It, what do you uh, do? You know, like he's fragile, but you want as much of him as you can get. So. Yeah. Uh, well, the Royals weren't done making moves as well. By tra- uh, they ended up trading their star- often injured starting shortstop as well, Alberto Mondesi, uh, to the Red Sox uh, for relief pitcher Josh Taylor. Yeah, Alberto Mondesi is really weird because mm-hmm. he was a top prospect. He came up. He, he's a world champion. Um, what is it? No, no, he came up the nope. year after they won the World year Series. Year after, yeah. But he was – I remember him being a prospect like when they were in the World Series and stuff. And then he came up the year after, and he's shown flashes of being good, but he's got an astronomical strikeout rate and astronomical stolen base totals. But he doesn't get on base, and he hasn't really hit. So, But the big part of – one of the biggest part problems for him has been injuries. I mean, he's played mm-hmm. like 2022 played 15 games with injury. The 2021 played 35 games. I mean, it's been injuries. And before that, he was a slightly below average hitter who still, I mean, he played the full season in 2020, but it was, you know, the 60 game schedule. So 
I mean, he's never played a full season. and uh, But, I mean, he's had a couple good years. Like 2018, put up two and a half wins above replacement with a 113 WRC+. It's really solid. 2019 in 102 games, put up two and a half wins above replacement. He stole 43 bases in 102 games in 2019. So this is a guy who can be a really, really good terror on the base paths. And it, in some ways, it's surprising to see the Royals completely give up on him with the place that they're in as a franchise right now but you got to remember he while it seems like he's almost like a prospect and hasn't played this is his last year before free agency so like i mean they're going to give up on him regardless because he's going to free agency so uh you might as well get something for him and they got a pretty nice reliever for him and josh taylor i mean josh taylor's not great and he's coming off an injury but i mean in 2020 um 2021 he was you know not not too bad he put up a you know, a, a 340 ERA um, and a 283 FIP in 2021 in 47 innings. So um, I believe he's a kind of a, a one of those lefty, crafty lefty type guys, which isn't quite as big of a thing now because of the three battle rule. But, uh, you know, Josh Taylor's a pretty solid, um, you know, he's a pretty solid left-handed arm that, you know, you add to the Royals and for a guy that they really didn't, guess didn't feel like they were going to get very much out of. So, uh, definitely an interesting trade here. Yeah, so I it's it stinks that Mondesi has had such an an issue staying healthy, and his issue is like Byron Buxton compounded by ten ten percent. I mean, Mondesi is the type of guy who, with these given rule changes and a healthy you know one hundred sixty two game season, could be the the guy who steals a hundred plus bases. Uh, but you know, it's been years since we've seen him at full power. Uh, stealing, you know, 40 bases in with old rules, old base sizes and and no pickoff limits. I, I just think, you know, as a as a lottery ticket move for the Red Sox, this is spectacular because, you know, you can put him or Trevor Story at shortstop. You could bat, at Mo, you know, Mondesi ninth in the lineup and try to just kind of generate some some action before the the top of your order featuring your Devers and Trevor Story and Verdugo and the the good hitters there. You know, I don't know that he does anything for the Red Sox playoff hopes because any every game you get from Mondesi is a is a bonus. But you know, it really wouldn't shock me if he was finally able to to put down something successful, um, especially given the, these rule changes. Because you know, this is like kind of a dream come true for a speedster like this. And um, you know, as for the Royals, you know, they just need they need Bobby Witt to man shortstop for the next, you know, 10 plus years. So I think they're focused on that. And at this point, Mondesi is an afterthought. Yeah. And for the Red Sox, it's just throwing darts at the wall. Um, you know, with story going to be out for who knows how long into the year. Um, mm. I mean, Mondesi might not That's even right. be ready. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So it's just with story having Tommy John um, or the brace inside, whatever he's, he's doing, I guess not technically Tommy John. Uh, he might not be back this year. Uh, Mondesi had tours ACL at the, believe early on in last season so we don't even know if he'll be ready for opening day um so it's just kind of throwing darts in that outfield i think right now the plan is to move uh kike hernandez to uh to shortstop and then you got you know mondesi you'll have uh christian arroyo and i believe rob ref snyder somewhat is built to be your second baseman's for now until yeah until story comes train wreck oh yeah that guy, yeah. I think they really thought they were going to re-sign Bogarts there, man. We're we'll get into the Red Sox on yeah. the predict or yeah. the, uh, yeah, the preview it's... series, but my goodness, yeah, they're not good. Yeah. 
They're in trouble. Uh, oh, oh, another little deal. I, I was looking at the roster resource page and I forgot to put it on here. Um, the Red Sox had DFA'd Matt Barnes uh, last week and they ended up trading him to the Miami Marlins today to get uh, left-handed reliever Richard Blyer. Um, basically money's going to end up being even. So it's basically just a wash and they get basically replaced the left-handed, uh, reliever and Josh Taylor, um, that they traded for Mondesi Blair, and yeah. Richard Blyer, um, they, by getting rid of Matt Barnes. They had just DFA'd Matt Barnes too, former closer for the Red Sox, nasty stuff, but prone to wildness, prone to kind of blow <laughs> like, meltdowns and blowouts. So he's the uh, anti Richard Blyer, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It's the complete opposites. And the funny quote I saw was that the Marlins were looking for veteran presence in their bullpen. But I was like, that's what Richard Blyer is. He's just a veteran presence who just gets in there, gets some outs. Occasionally he'll give up three hits in a row because well, the ground ball got through, but yeah. you know, like, Blyer's like 35, isn't he? Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah he's think, old. Yeah. I will say, I think the only thing, you know, Matt Barnes has a lot of experience closing out like really right. close games and stuff. Blyer, and from watching the Marlins a bit last year, like they barely ever used Blyer in any kind of tough situation, even though his numbers overall were pretty good. Like he, they, they rarely, I, th- I don't think they trust his profile at all, even though. I don't think, I don't think anybody yeah. does. I mean, he's I, a I don't either, guy. but yeah, I mean, he's, he's striking out like as a reliever under six guys per nine. Yeah. So, it's, which is, it's, hey, it's working. It's working. The Brandon but, Kinsler profile. More extreme, more extreme than Brandon Kinsler, really. Yeah. So one thing I want to, it's kind of fun. I was just looking at it. This might be the oldest bullpen we've ever seen. Um, you have Kenley Jansen at 35, Chris Martin at 36, uh, Br- Ryan Brazier at 35, Flyer at 35. And then you got Scriber at 29, Tanner Houck, who is technically in between a, he's like a swing man at 26 and then cutter Crawford at 26, like their youngest guys, 26 there. And they have four people 35 or older in the bullpen. Schreiber, Schreiber and Jansen, I think are going to get the majority of the, the late inning chances there though. Yeah, probably so. Martin too. Yeah. Mar- Martin, Martin too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jansen will so. be their closer, but yeah. Absolutely. Jansen will be their closer until he has that one bad month that he always has. Yeah. He'll, he'll be a, they're not, yeah. not their closer for a month. Yeah. Then he'll be back to being their closer again. Right. Yeah. Um, well, both of these teams did make other moves as well. Um, the Red Sox signed Adam Duvall to a one-year, $7 million deal. Um, and then the Royals uh, today re-signed Zach Grinke to a one-year deal. Um, but the other big move was we were talking of old closers. Uh, the Royals signed Aroldis Chapman to a one-year, $3.75 million deal uh, that has bonuses that he can reach up to $4 million more dollars. Yeah, I can start with Duval um, because he's been with the Braves the last several years, and he was pretty good for the most part in Atlanta. Um, he, last year, or in 2021, he hit 38 home runs between Atlanta and Miami, uh, was a big part of the World Series run, played center field for the Braves after Ronald Acuna Jr.'s ACL injury. Um, and then this past year, he was not good in 86 games, had a 32% strikeout rate, uh, only an 87 WRC plus, and he was not quite the same guy playing the outfield defensively. He was his center field. I think small sample size might have helped that a little bit. 2021 because the metrics really liked him there. 2022 it was more not great. He only had a 401 slugging percentage, and for Adam Duvall with his profile, if he has a 401 slugging percentage, it's a problem. So he had a really rough 2022. He actually ran the bases really well by the metrics. It kind of saved his WAR. But um, 
you know, it was a little rough. And, uh, you know, one year, seven million for a guy who, you know, he's he's in 2021, he put up almost three war and, uh, you know, had a and hit 38 home runs, had an almost 500 slugging percentage. So, you know, it's worth a risk of, of seven million dollars for sure, especially for a team like the Red Sox, which have, as we've been talking about, they have no outfielders. I mean, because they're moving their best one to shortstop. So, um, like, I mean, it's or I guess they still have Verdugo, but I, yeah. it's it's rough. So. And they Adam signed Duvall. Yoshida. Oh, right, Yoshida. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I keep forgetting about him. He's actually going to be good. Like, right. Here's yeah. the thing about Adam Duvall is that you have the, the, the splits. Duvall had a 129 WRC plus against lefties last year Yeah, with the with the Braves, but the Braves used him primarily against righties. I think he'll be a platoon, strict platoon bat to fit in there as DH or, or center field against the lefties. Um, that's where they're going to play him the most. I think he, he really struggled a lot worse against the, the righties. So this is kind of an easy decision. This is a guy a year away to, apart from hitting 38 home runs. Yeah. So, you know, that, you yeah. know, that's in there, but yeah. I think he's just a huge, huge, uh, penalized. He was penalized horribly by the juice ball being taken away last year. Yeah, and and also you know you have to think about that thirty eight home runs. He still only put up a one hundred three WRC plus, so he had thirty eight home runs, but he was league average hitter. And it's because he doesn't right. walk and he strikes and out he a ton. Out a so yep. it's like, and his with his fly ball profile too, he doesn't his batting average on balls and play is always going to be low. So like it's home runner bust with him, which which is fine for a corner outfielder who plays pretty good defense and is a platoon bat. But yep. that's why he's only making seven million dollars next year. So. I'll jump into a Roldis Chapman. Uh, oh. Cubs legend was on the mound in Game 7 of the World Series. What happened then we won't discuss, but what we will discuss is that he has been really falling off the last couple of seasons from the dominant closer that he had been for all but that Game 7 uh, of his career. And he's kind of at the point now where he's a flyer for a bad team like the Royals. Hopefully who are now hoping that they can trade him at the deadline to get, you know, some, some compensation in in return because Chapman's down to, I think 98 miles an hour on the fastball right now. And, you know, if, if you've watched Rolls Chapman at all, you know, if that fastball is not up there in velocity, it's, uh, it's really hittable. So, you know, his, his fastball, his, his slider's never been particularly good. He's introduced a splitter recently. That's not been particularly good. But, you know, this is a Hall of Fame closer, uh, you know, but he's going to need to grab a few more of those counting saves in order to, I think, cement that legacy. And, you know, the Royals are a decent spot to do it. They don't have an established closer right now. I don't think they're going to prioritize Scott Barlow over Chapman here, at least to start the season. So, uh, he'll have free reign, I think, on the closer's role, but he's going to need to get those walks under control and get some of that velocity back. Yeah, I don't know if he'll get the velocity back, but uh, he could at least stop walking seven guys per nine innings. That might help some, even if even if he's not striking mm-hmm. out quite as many guys, he gives up a few more, you know, home runs or something. Like he can still be a solid reliever at 99 miles an hour, 98 miles an hour, but he can't be giving up seven walks per nine innings. That's just not good. Yeah. So. Uh, but moving on from him, we got one more uh, we talked about, and uh, Zach Grinky, um, and he is uh, he's back for one more year, I guess, which is great. I'm very happy to see Zach Grinky back. He, you talk, you mentioned uh, you know Rollis Chapman being a potential Hall of Famer. Well, Zach yep. Grinky's a surefire Hall of Famer, and uh, at least he should at least he should be. 
you never know with the voters, but he should be. And, um, you know, I think it, it, it's it's good. It's good to see him finish off his career in Kansas City. Uh, he he wasn't really all that bad last year. He didn't walk anybody. I mean, he didn't strike out anybody, but his numbers really weren't all that bad. He had a 368 ERA in 137 innings and a 403 FIP. So it, it was helped by just not a lot of, you know, home runs on fly balls, but solid season for him last year, honestly, at, at age 38. You know, we'll see if he can just kind of provide that veteran you know, innings eating 2023 um, and have around a four ERA and, you know, have a, have some good memories to finish out his career. Here's, here's my favorite part about Zach Greinke is the first all of all his, his velocity has increased from 2020 to 2021 to 2022. It's gone up. That's on his fastball. Second off is that he throws his slider harder than he throws or no, it's sorry. It's he throws a sinker harder than he throws his fastball. He throws his changeup the same speed as he throws his fastball, which is eighty six. He throws his changeup eighty six, eighty seven. He throws his fastball eighty seven, eighty nine. Um, that's amazing. And and if you ever watch a pitching ninja, you know, GIF of of Granky's overlaid pitches with the changeup and the fastball being the same speed, but the changeup falling off the table at eighty six, it's it's just fantastic. Uh, you know, there's so many anecdotes of Grinky being just a hilarious dude. Damien's seen him on the Dodgers. It's he's just a great guy. It's good for baseball that he's around, and he was downright good last year, man. So, you know, of, it's right that he's on the Royals, finishing up his career. I hope they kind of he kind of announces when his last year is going to be. But to this point, it feels like you know if he's got more in the tank, he's going to keep going. So, um, Grinky feels like the kind of guy who's who's going to pitch till he's like 43 or 44, and like absolutely his arms falling off, and no one will give him a chance. Yeah, uh, Grinky absolutely will not announce when he's retiring. He is the most like anti media. He, he might, person he of might all retire. Time. He might retire just like after a game in June. If oh, he 100%. gives up like four he, runs, he's just going to retire and be like, I'm done. 100, Bye, guys. 100%, yeah. He's going to pull the Vontae <laughs> Davis and just like yeah. in the fourth inning, you're just going to see him come off the mound, not even know, and then he just won't be back out there. And then yep. he'll just tell you in the dugout, like, or, you know, a post game. Yeah, I just retired or whatever. Yeah, we'll maybe, it. <laughs> at least it's, hopefully it's not the Antonio Brown, though, where he's running around mm-hmm. without a shirt on. Maybe. But Grinky is one of the funniest people you mentioned. I have plenty of stories of uh, mm-hmm. stuff that he used to do at the Dodgers. Um, like when he got mad at Puig and threw his suitcase out into the middle of the streets in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. That was one of the all-time best ones. Um, walking into the draft room and asking the GM who they're going to draft. And when he said Corey Seager, he goes, hey, that's a good pick. And then turn around and walk right back out. Um, just like that. But I, I think the the best part of Grinky is that you mentioned all his velocities and then he'll throw a curveball at 40 miles an hour up to the plate. Right. And yep. just watch you just stand there at it and <laughs> be completely straight faced at it the entire time. Like it was a real pitch that he expected strike calls on and stuff like is that cranky hilarious? I'm glad he's back because he's always a character to watch for sure. But um, let's go ahead and jump over to the last trade that we had happened. That was between the Baltimore Orioles and the Oakland Athletics. Uh, the Orioles acquiring uh, pitcher Cole Irvin and uh, prospect Kyle Verbitsky, uh, while the Oakland A's acquire prospect Daryl Hernias. Is that, does that sound right? The, yeah. Hernias. It's funny. I went and looked up Darrell Hernias, right? He had a four WRC plus in double A last year. Now he's 20 years old. He's going to, he's going to improve. I met, you know, this is a small price to pay for 
a, a major league starter in Cole Irvin, who is pretty much just an innings eater at this point, but you know, a crafty lefty to, to have some depth in the rotation. He's controlled a, too. Yeah. It, it was a, I don't think anybody believes Cole Irvin's anything more than like a four or five, but no, yeah, you know, it for the, the, the prospect lotto tickets that the, the A's are hunting are these toolsy guys with a lot of swing and miss. And I, I just cannot see that working out. You know, we, we, we've kind of talked about Estiri Ruiz in, in detail and, and her, the, this guy, um, I can't remember his last name. Her is feels like another tight, you know, guy like that. A lot of power, a lot of speed, not a whole lot of contact and not a lot of hit tools. So uh, we'll see if he can kind of pick it up once he's gotten traded to the A's. But again, I, I don't like what the A's are doing at all. And Cole Irvin was controlled. He had a lot more, you know, maybe value if you hold on to him a little bit longer until the midseason where a team needs some innings. I, I don't know. I just I don't like this trade. I don't like anything the A's are doing. I don't like who they're targeting. I just I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, Hernandez. I I don't know a ton about him, but I mean, he, it, you know, twenty twenty two, he went through three levels. He was good in in low A twenty twenty two. Had a one thirty two WRC plus. Had a one twenty seven in high A in twenty twenty two. As a twenty year old, uh, you know, really solid. Then very short thirteen games in in double A. His strikeout rate ballooned, uh, but it you know it's a really small sample size. Late in the season, he's twenty years old. You know, he might be something. I, I don't know. Um, you know, he was on their top top twenty prospects. Um, so, you know, or he was he was he's gonna be on the top twenty prospects for the uh for the A's. Um, so you know, uh, not not a terrible prospect. And Cole Irvin is, I mean, I think you kind of hit it. He's a back end of the rotation type guy. He's definitely worthy of being a big leaguer. He's a good you know crafty lefty, and he doesn't he doesn't walk a lot of guys. He only walked he walked under two guys per nine innings last year. He doesn't throw hard, but, you know, he doesn't strike a ton of guys out, but he gets fairly soft contact. You know, he's probably going to be a guy who you're probably hoping gets you five to six innings, gives up three runs in a game, you know, more so than being like, you know, coming out and being real inconsistent or being an ace or something. Like, he's probably just going to be a your, you know, a good innings eating five. And honestly, the Orioles need those types of guys. I mean, because they have – I don't know how much upside they have in their rotation, but, you know, he adds to the floor of it. I mean, because I think Cole Irvin's going to be a decent number five starter regardless of where he's at. So um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens there. And I know absolutely nothing about the other guy. So yeah. um, it's, for it's worth noting that the the Orioles are bringing up Grayson Rodriguez, who's one of yeah. the best starting pitching prospects in baseball next year. You've also got DL hall who may be in the bullpen, maybe in the rotation. I think they're starting him in the rotation, but he's he needs to be in the bullpen. electric. He's electric yeah. with, with stuff. So either way, you know, they've got a lot of, a lot more, I think talent and John means should be back next year. I believe too, at some point, I think he came off Tommy yeah. John. So I think he'll be back mid season. Um, but you know, the Orioles, I, I don't think did enough for the rotation, especially because Pablo Lopez got traded this week and, and the Orioles have the strongest farm system in baseball. I, I just, I don't, I don't know yeah. where they were, what they were doing. I think there was a, definitely a trade to be made there, um, for Pablo Lopez. The, the only, the only but... thing about the Pablo Lopez trade and, and the fit with the Orioles is that the, they were the Marlins were like adamant about getting a major league player. And I don't know if the 
Orioles, if they're starting to want to contend, I don't know if they've got the major league talent right now to start giving guys away. So I think that's kind of yeah. the only thing. Like, because you think about who you would give away that would be on the same playing field as an Arias. You think something like a Anthony Santander or something, and he's going to be a key piece for the Orioles. They can't really afford to trade him. So it's kind of a tough, you know, that would have been a kind of a tough trade for me to, to give away a major league piece when you're trying to go into contention and a guy you can't Here, really give give up. Here's who it would have been. It wouldn't have been Santander because Santander's a DH. It yeah, would have been maybe, Cedric Mullins. Yeah, and that would have been a terrible trade that, for me. That would have been tough, yeah, because Mullins is a, a good defensive center fielder with yeah. a pedigree of being at least yeah. above average and, on offense. And not to it's, mention, he's, he's coming off of a down year. I mean, he's got to be better yeah. than he was last year, I think. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking yeah. about Jorge Mateo, but I don't think Mateo has the kind of value that Arias brings with the bat, even with the glove. Yeah. I think Arias, Mateo but, is one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. Let's give him his due. We'll give Hank the, the Mateo due. <laughs> or, he's one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball, and he stole 35 bases last year with stolen base improving rules coming to the game. You know, He could be a very valuable player next year. But I, I don't know if he's going to be as valuable as, as Arias, and I don't know that the Marlins would be valuing him the same. And then, you know, you're looking at their 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 farm system, and you're looking at a bunch of really, really high-ceiling outfielders, Kowser and Kerstead, and, and just, you know, I really like the Orioles' farm system to be able to make some of those big trades for aces, and they didn't do it. So I don't love that, but... I still think the Orioles are an exciting team because when you have Adley Rutschman right now, I you know, I just anything could really happen here. They, they've got a lot of, of ceiling with this team. Yeah. Not, not to mention, I mean, Gunnar Henderson got named by Pipeline, yeah, Gunner, their too. number one prospect in the, in major league baseball. And I think he's legit. So yeah, I mean, that's, Gunner and Adley are going to lead this yeah, team in the future. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, they, they, they've had the solid big leaguers too, like Mountcastle, Hayes, Santander, mm-hmm. Mullins. Like those are all pretty solid big league players. They're none of them are elite players or anything, but they're good. And, I mean, their lineup's going to be good. Their bullpen should be pretty good. Uh, and, I mean, you look at the rotation is really their weakness. And, I mean, it, you know, you hope that Grayson Rodriguez, who I think – who's my favorite pitching prospect in yeah. baseball right now. Jackson you hope Holiday. that he's healthy. So. You hope that he comes up and, is, and pitches healthy and right. he'll be good to go. So. I forgot about Jackson Holiday and yeah. I forgot about Kobe Mayo and I forgot about Judd Fabian, all yeah. of whom are really good. Well, I don't okay. know about anyway, Judd Fabian, sorry. but <laughs> – Hey, you know, he's, he's at least a decent one. Yeah, Jordan Westberg too. Joey Ortiz. They got a lot of good prospects. I, I'm oh, just yeah. saying in a pa- in a package for a really good starting pitcher, they had a lot of pieces to be able to throw around, and they didn't do it. Yeah, they still might, they traded they still might their, do it. What, 20th best prospect for, for Cole Irvin. So. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Irvin is he's controllable through like 2027, so you're getting like five years or something of him, which is pretty decent for that as well. But – uh. Let's stay in the division there, and the Tampa Bay Rays did Tampa Bay Rays things, and they signed three players to uh, you know contract extensions. First up was Jeffrey Springs at a four-year, thirty-one million dollar deal. Uh, it can reach five years for sixty-five million, or about sixty-six, if uh, all the incentives and options picked up. Uh, then you got Pete Fairbanks with a three-year, twelve million dollar deal with a fourth-year option, uh, and then Yandy Diaz for three years for twenty-four million, also with a fourth-year option. Yeah, I'll start with Jeffrey Springs. Um, I think that's a pretty good deal. I mean, obviously with you know with his service time, I think he probably they bought out a year or two of free agency there. Um, 
So it's kind of hard to judge sometimes with these with these uh, extensions for guys who are in ARB because of just how many years they're are they buying out of free agency, how much discount are they getting, you know, during the last couple of years of ARB, that kind of thing. But I mean, Jeffrey Springs is pretty good. He'll be a Ray for a while now. He had a really good season in 2022. I don't know if he's the type of guy who's going to repeat that, but he's going to be solid for them going forward. Doesn't walk a lot of guys. Had great strikeout numbers, but I don't know if the stuff is going to continue to be like, you know, elite level stuff, but I think he'll be a really solid pitcher. He's a swing guy. The Rays are, that's a rotation guy for the Rays is a swing guy. So um, he's, but he's a really solid piece and uh, he'll be in the rotation this year. And I think he'll be, you know, I think he's like talent law probably a number three in a rotation, which, I mean, this is a great deal for that. Just depends on the, you know, how much did you, how much did you save by doing the extension over just, you know, letting it play out. So. Yeah. And so Jeffrey Springs is, I, I, I don't want to, it's the race, right? They're going to, they're going to find a way to get some value out of Jeffrey Springs. I don't, I don't really distrust them here. What I do want to do is praise Yandy Diaz. The last three full seasons, 2020 through 2022, Yandy Diaz has a 383 on base percentage a 130 WRC plus and a greater walk rate than strikeout rate, um, which is the second player we've talked about like this, but Andy Diaz also does it while playing a pretty solid third base. So yeah, you know, this is the type of guy who is way more valuable than this. I think even though he's not like the greatest defensive third baseman, if he can play it serviceably while providing you a 383 on base percentage, this is the type of guy you could throw in at leadoff hitter, right? And and he'll get on base in front of your sluggers. You could hit him sixth and have him drive in some runs, right? But I, I just I, a guy with a 383 on base percentage getting what a twelve twelve million dollar a year, eight million dollars a year. That that million. seems very. Um, like he's underpaid to me and the Rays kind of like to do this where they'll, yeah. they'll buy out of your a free agency for, for pretty cheap. But man, I, I like Yanni Diaz a lot. I think this is a, a heist for the Rays. What a, what a signing to, to keep yeah. him in this lineup and keep them as effective as they've been. Yeah. If you want to see something wild, go look up Yandy Diaz's baseball savant page. Yeah. It's all in the reds. I, I bet it's not what you expect. Like literally like, I think the lowest one of the hitting categories outside of barrel percentage. I mean, he's expected slugging 68th percentile, but the lowest one outside of that's 91 percentile. He looks like Otani (laughs) on the, on the savant page. Like it's just, it's obscene. He's really good. But uh, I think the, you know, Yandy Diaz had a really good year and he's a good player. I think the biggest heist, honestly, though, I think Pete Fairbanks was the biggest heist because I think that you're getting, and and of course, I don't think they really bought out that much free agency with them. But the but with the contracts we've been seeing for these high hard throwing relievers this year, like I mean, Pete Fairbanks had a he's averaging ninety nine on his fastball in twenty twenty two, and he had a point eight six FIP and a one thirteen ERA, and that's coming off a season in twenty twenty one where he pitched you know a lot more and he had a 270 fit a three you know a 359 ERA is a little higher but he was he's a really 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 good pitcher and uh he's throwing extremely hard i think his best is, is yet to come so um pete fairbanks is a is a dude 
here's yeah, here's Fair, my Fair, well, go, ahead. go ahead go ahead damien i was gonna say if fairbanks can stay healthy this is a step. yeah that's um, what i was gonna say too <laughs> you, you know we yep. we've seen him he really rose to to prominency in that 2020 uh you know, postseason, late in the season, into that postseason run there, um, was pretty much the main reliever leading that team to the World Series against the Dodgers. Um, his thing is, if he could just stay healthy, I mean, you're talking about a guy who he pitched 24 innings this year, but his last, I believe, 22 innings were scoreless. Like, if he could just stay healthy throughout an entire season, this eight or was it seven million dollars a year is what he's getting would be not even seven million dollars a year. Seven million is the option. He's only getting what three million, right? Four million? million, four four million a year. That's yeah. what he's getting. Four million, seven millions on the option. Um, you know, and they they did buy out one year of free agency, but even then, like he he's so good at six six. I mean, as as hard as he throws and as tall as he is, I mean, he he just blows people away. It's it's a very raise signing his feet Pete Fairbanks, but you know I I think the risk is baked into this contract, right? It's very low turn, especially considering the deals other guys got, you know, that are maybe less hard throwing, maybe less reliable even than Pete Fairbanks has been. But they, you know, their reputation is is garnered a more. The, the risk is baked in here. He's not making a ton, but if he explodes, right, it'll look like a steal. But if you're Pete Fairbanks, you made twelve million dollars guaranteed. Good for him. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's jump over to the New York Mets. They made a couple deals this week. One was signing outfielder Tommy Pham to a one-year $6 million deal. Um, and then the other was signing Jeff McNeil to a four-year $50 million extension uh, that has a fifth-year option that could take the total guaranteed money up to 63 uh, and three-quarters million. Yeah, I'll start with McNeil. Um, this was an interesting extension because – you know, I think he was maybe two years away from free agency. Um, yeah. He's came up really late. He was a late bloomer. He came up in tw- at age 26 in 2018. So he's on the wrong side of 30 already. So I don't think he would have hit his free agency till age 33. And it's interesting. That's correct. Yeah, it's interesting with his profile as to what kind of contract he potentially could have gotten at age 33. So um, and, and how his how his profile will age. So I think that this is probably a good deal for the Mets. Um, you know, they're only getting they're only going to be paying him you know barely over twelve, uh, barely over ten million dollars. Like they're paying him like twelve million dollars a year for a guy who's coming off a f- six war a year. I mean, that's pretty good value. But it, it's interesting to think about how he would age and how much you're actually like buying out a free agency, how much would he be worth at that point? I think you're getting a really good discount, but it's a weird, a lot of times you see these extensions for ARB guys and they're like, you know, in their mid twenties when they get that extension and you're like, okay, they're giving up a lot of money or, you know, or the team's taking a pretty big risk here. But with this one, it's just weird because he's already 30 and it's, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting look, but, um, you know, I, I think it's a great deal for the Mets. They're bringing back a guy who they really like. He's a good player. I don't think he's going to put up another 143 WRC plus next year. Uh, his batting average on balls in play was pretty high. Um, and uh, we'll see how he ages. But, I mean, doesn't hit for a lot of power. But, man, he's he's a really solid player. He doesn't strike out. You know, he's really reliable for them. Uh, and he's gotten to where he plays pretty good defense, too. So, uh, really, really solid deal there for the Mets, in my opinion. I've got a comp for this deal. And it's 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 actually 
decent, other than the fact that I think McNeil's a worse defender than this player. But said player got four years, fifty-six million at that age. You know, after coming up late and going all the way to free agency, that player being Ben Zobrist, four yeah. years, fifty-six million. This is four years, fifty million for a better hitter, worse defender, less versatile player um, in Jeff McNeil, and at a much younger age, which tells me that I think you know the Mets did well in this deal that McNeil probably it, had McNeil been a free agent I think he would have gotten a lot more right now but given that it's not really up to him to negotiate you know they bought him out a year to guarantee him 50 million I think that's it's, it's a year of, of free agency I believe two. so two, two years of free agency would be three right so and I think Jeff McNeil's kind of made it apparent that he wants to stay in New York for yeah. the entirety of his yeah. career yeah, yeah. At age, when you're at age 30 and they offer you this kind of money too and it's a risk not to take it because you never know, like as you age, how you you might get hurt. You might just not be the same guy again. You know, it's you know you get offered that fifty million dollars, man. That's tough to turn down if you're eight, if you're thirty mm-hmm. years old and you are definitely aren't getting paid for another three years if you don't take it. So, yeah, it, it's smart on both sides because with the rule changes coming into play, I think I mean Jeff McNeil's already been really good, but I wonder how much he might better he might actually be able to get. You know, just batting average wise, like I mean he hit three twenty six with hitting against the shift and all that. Like, could you imagine if what he could do with the shift? Mm-hmm. Not yeah, I don't in think place? Was, I don't think he was shifted all that much for, you know, compared to other lefty hitters, but maybe well, he not be bit, shifted but... at all now. Well, yeah, right. Like, can't be. Yeah. So this, just uh, remember though, that this is a guy who's only hit 10 home runs once in his career. Yeah. So the, the, he's got to rely on those base hits, those, those, yeah. con- those doubles, those, you know, those pokes, the making contact. And, you know, as soon as that starts to fall away, that, that may result in him being making a quick exit from major league baseball. So, yeah, uh, but the, the other deal the Mets did was signing Tommy Pham to a one year, $6 million deal. Um, just basically going to become a fourth outfielder there. They were in the running for Duvall. Um, and that, I think they fell short just late in the next day. I think they was when they signed Tommy Pham. So, uh, really similar contracts guy. Who's going to be your fourth outfielder there. Um, I doubt who uh, he won't play any center. That'll be Nimmo, but uh gives you some ability to, if Marte is still going to miss some time, I know he had that hand injury um, that is going to take him out of being in uh, participating in the WBC. Uh, so that's going to, it just gives you some insurance there, um, you know, for the corner outfield spots. Yeah. I mean, Tommy fam is, I mean, he's been a pretty good big leaguer for a while, but, these past couple of years have been a little rough. Uh, 2021 wasn't wasn't great. He put up a league average stat line. 2022 was pretty bad. He was, you know, an 89 WRC plus. Got traded midseason. I just don't think he's all that good. Uh, but um, you know, this is a guy who um, he he still got those walks. He still walks a lot. His plate discipline is solid. It was down in 2022, but. You know, he's for his career and a 12% walk rate. It wasn't down by that much. He's still over league, better than league average, at, you know, with his, with his eye. And that's something that might bounce back. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I think he's good at insurance. You know, he's kind of a similar type of player to Mark Canna, just not as good. So I think that, that might be kind of what they're going for there is, you know, if, if they have an injury to Mark Canna or, or, or you know, with Mark Starling Marte being out, you know, they might have they get another guy who's kind of similar. So, um, but maybe just not quite as good. So I think he'll probably make the roster and stuff, but he's not, you know, he's just not all that good anymore. 
Also, I think his off the field antics are more of a, you know, they're more important yeah, to him I than, mean, than on the field. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, so the next couple ones we have here, they're, they're a bit, bit smaller, but I guess the biggest of them would be the Brewers uh, signing Brian Anderson to a one year, $3.5 million deal. Um, I heard he'll potentially be in the outfield there. I think that's the plan for them is to play him in right field, um, which is, I know he can play there. Usually he was playing yep. third base with the Marlins, but um, he was a pretty good prospect that just never really worked out as good as people thought he was going to be. Um, he had a couple really good years, you know, 2018, 2019 were pretty solid. Even in the 2020 season was, was a pretty decent year, but the last couple of years really struggled to stay on the field um, and, basically just fell out of time with the Marlins. So it'll be interesting to see if the Brewers, the type of candidate that they always seem to go for the guy who um, can hit really well. And if he's given the opportunity and go into a hitter friendly yeah. ballpark. Yeah. Brian Anderson's a really solid player when he's healthy. I mean, he's put up good numbers throughout his career. Um, you know, he just can't see it and been able to stay healthy, like you said. And I think he's a good signing for the Brewers for that cheap. I'm kind of surprised nobody else gave him that or a little bit more. I mean, he's a good player. So uh, but I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is playing outfield. He's got a great arm. Like that's a big thing with him. It's just, he's got a cannon for an arm and um, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, he's uh, definitely an interesting player and definitely somebody who could make the Brewers better this year because their lineup still needs help. I was going to say the the only thing I have here is that if you've looked at the zips projection for the Brewers, they had one player projected for over a 260 batting average this season. Uh, and I think Brian Anderson makes two players projected for that. So, and I think one of them was a rookie, like guy who hasn't played in the majors at all. So they, they do not have much consistency in that lineup. It's going to be a lot of um, feast or famine with Willie Adamas, Rowdy Telez, Yelich, Brian Anderson does add a little bit of stability there. I think he's a little more reliable in terms of his plate approach and, and everything that he does. Yeah. So the couple other uh, moves we had and David, you hit on one, Matt, you hit on the other. I'll let you guys decide how you want to do it. But the Mar- uh, Mariners signed Tommy LaStella to a one-year veteran minimum deal. And then the Philadelphia Phillies signed Josh Harrison to a one-year $2 million deal. I'm talking about Tommy LaStella. Dang it. Uh, that's Cubs legend Tommy LaStella, Cubs World Series legend. champion Braves Tommy LaStella. La yeah, but he didn't win a championship at the Braves. Um, <clears throat> Tommy really? LaStella is awesome, but he's been he's been not good the last couple of years. It's been since 2020 that he was an above league average bat. This is a little dude who actually generates some power with his swing, and that's funny <laughs> to me because he's tiny. He I I I went to a game and I uh, an Iowa Cubs game where. I was standing next to him and I was the same height as him, but he was way skinnier than I was. This is a dude who's 180. Yeah. They're, they're embellishing that (laughs) he's short, he's small, but he's, he's able to generate that, that power. And it's, it's always been nice. He's also got a great plate approach. He's a perfect little bench bat for the Mariners. He's going to fit their culture really well. The Mariners are a fun team this year, and I really hope Tommy Lastella kind of gets it going a little bit and and gets into that role as that kind of utility bench bat uh, that can kind of splash in really good plate appearances whenever he makes an appearance for them. Yeah. Tommy Lastella to me is very similar to Adam Frazier, who they just got rid of, but um, it's kind of the replacement for him. But um, but yeah, and then uh, Josh Harrison signed with the Phillies. I mean. Josh Harrison's affiliate, I guess, is the takeaway here. It's not <laughs> not a ton. I mean, it's just like he's a utility guy. He was okay last year. 
He's a league average hitter, league average defender, really league good average base runner. Yeah, he was good last year, but in his career, I mean, he's you know pretty. I mean, he's not bad or anything. He's just not like you know great defensive player. He'll play different positions. He's a good. He's a. I mean, he's a solid bench player, but like he's you know he's not a ton more than that. But um, you know, interesting player. But you know, he'll probably help him some. He'll be in the big league roster. I mean, it's just not. It's not anything that really moves the needle, but he's a fine player. And he brings energy. He right? does That's bring right. energy. One of, one of the big things, too. Um, so as far as player moves, that was all that we had over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we did have the uh, a couple deal things to deal with the Braves, but uh, they signed the Brian Snicker to an extension through 2025. Um, so, uh, Matt, your thoughts on uh, Brian Snicker being extended? I mean... Brian Snickers had a great record as a Braves manager. I mean, he's won a World Series. They've made the playoffs every single year except for 2017, his first year on the job when they were still in rebuild mode. Um, they've, I mean, they won more games last year than they'd won in any season in like 20 years almost. And they're just, I mean, he's done a fantastic job. I think when it comes to like on the field managing, like, you know, strategic lineup management, that kind of thing, he's not the best guy at that. He makes some mistakes. He's not, you know, I don't always trust the moves he makes, but he's probably possibly the best him and, you know, Dusty Baker maybe. And, you know, maybe a couple other guys there. He's up there with the best of the clubhouse managers that are just beloved by their players in, in baseball. And he's, you know, just his record speaks for itself. So, I mean, extending him through 2025 is, is great. He is, you know, almost 70 years old. So I believe, I think he's 67 maybe. Um, so I don't know how long he will continue to be the manager. I, I don't know, you know, when, but I think, I think he's got a, um, I think he's got a lifetime deal with the Braves. As long as he wants to be brave, he'll be a brave. So, uh, manager and uh you know that might be it at, at 20, 2025 he might retire i mean he'll be 70 years old so um but uh we'll see uh but very i'm, I'm excited to see ryan snicker stick around he's he's done a great job and um you know you're not gonna not extend him so yeah and then uh another thing kind of dealing with the uh with the braves is that one of their front office members uh has just left and been hired as the general manager for the Houston Astros. And that's uh, Dana Brown uh, believes that he started his career as a scout in 1994 with the pirates. Um, I wasn't able to find a full page on him. So if you guys find one, let me know, but uh, so he spent nine seasons uh, as a assistant to the GM for the blue Jays, as well as working in the scouting department for the expos slash nationals uh, from 2002 to two. Through 2009, uh, he joined the Braves in 2019 through the 2020 season and was where he oversaw the drafting of Michael Harris, uh, which we just saw win Rookie of the Year, Spencer Strider, who was the runner-up, and then Vaughn Grissom um, as well. So a guy who's been a long time in the game, known for drafting and developing players well, um, and then he's going to Houston where they don't need any help doing that. Yeah, look at his Blue Jays work too, Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette. Like, yeah, yeah. This, this dude's... I, I hate it. It stinks that Houston got him, man. That what a great move, right? They've, Houston's only done good things coming off of that World Series championship this offseason, It seems like. And to be fair, he was a runner up, or at least a finalists in the Mets and Mariners last GM searches. Yeah, yeah and so, so the, it, yeah, he signed 
you know, you mentioned Michael Harris, Vaughn Grissom, Spencer Strider. You also signed Shea Langoliers out of the draft too, who was this, you know, a, a, who was a top top forty prospect and is got called up to Oakland late in the year. And I think he's, you know, there's a lot of talk about him being really, really good. So, um, you know, he's he's still still going. Um, yeah, I, I thought Dana Brown did a great job with the Braves, and. I mean, he's been with Anthopolis for a long time. It kind of sucks to lose him. But, I mean, when you have a lot of success, anytime you, you have a, a group that has a lot of success, you know, from the top, you know, Anthopolis is going to lose guys because they're doing good and you're not going to promote him over Anthopolis. So, you know, he's going to go – he's going to get that opportunity somewhere. It's just a sign of doing a really good job. So, uh, good for the Astros. I don't know if I would have taken him over over a click uh, because, I mean, what Click's done is incredible. and Dana Brown doesn't have experience as an actual GM. He's really just been more of a drafting, scouting type guy. But he's, uh, you know, he's done a very, very good job with the Braves, and he'll do. I think he'll be successful in Houston. Well, we all know Jim Crane's the real GM, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> he decided to be about midseason this year. Yeah. Um, so the last little thing uh, we wanted to hit on was that the uh, we talked about the Detroit Tigers uh, announcing their field changes um, a couple weeks ago, and I believe it was just last week the uh, Toronto Blue Jays announced what they were going to do to their stadium. Um, so they've made all kinds of changes. It would take half this episode just trying to go over all the changes they made, but essentially um, they've basically hired – raised the wall in most of the places except center field. They dropped the wall by two feet there. Um, and then in the power gaps, they brought it in. So it used to be like 375 in uh, right field and or right center and left center. Those are now down to 360 and 359. And then more towards the center field gaps. Um, it's dropped a couple feet on each one and then 10 feet on, on a right center field. So making Rogers Center even more of a band box than it is. Yeah, I was going to say it's pretty wild to make that ballpark smaller. I mean, it's not like one of these ballparks that's like Comerica or something that's notoriously gigantic. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess they just want Vlad Jr. to break a home run record, even if their pitchers give up more home runs than anybody else. So the thing that, that kind of shocks me is that they've the wall was 10 foot and in certain sections they're moving it to like 14 and four, 14 feet and four inches yeah. and 14 feet. It's like the, I always felt that wall was extremely high all the way around as it was. And now they're just raising it in most places. Yeah, That's the weird so, um, part for me, but it, yeah. yeah, this offense is definitely, it doesn't need any help. So any little benefits you're going to give it, those might, those might be a little bit more exponential than the deficits your pitchers would give up. I think, yeah but. absolutely so um I mean, we'll figure out what we're going to do here but we're going to start jumping into division breakdowns um and predictions episode here soon um over the next few weeks as spring training gets ready to start and we get ready to push on to the 2023 opening day but uh before we wrap it up here anything else you guys want to want to hit on um not too much just uh you know we're getting pretty close just a couple weeks for until pitchers and catchers report, which, you know, it's funny that hearing that, you know, it's so exciting pitchers and catchers are reporting, but literally nothing's going to happen for like two weeks after that until you get some spring training games in which you might see a big league regular play like an inning. So, you know, we get so excited for it. Then it's like still, you know, a month and a half away from that. But, but it's always good when things start to move along and uh, guys start to report to camp and, um, 
you know, and I, one other little prediction here, you know, that I'll go ahead and make for, for our next couple weeks. I, I don't think we're done with big trades. I think you're going to see a surprising big trade. There's a few teams out there that I think have had a little bit, maybe not disappointing off season, but maybe they missed on some guys that they were hoping to get. And, you know, maybe a team like the Orioles or maybe Dodgers. Dodgers. Like yeah. I was going to mention the Dodgers is one of them. I mean, maybe one of these teams, like, like you saw the twins, you know, they, they're like, well, we didn't get any of the free agent pitchers. So we really need to make a trade. Like, I mean, I think theoretically, like a guy like Brian Reynolds could maybe still be available, you know, or even though they've been kind of saying he's not like, someone might end up blowing away that price out of like, Oh my God, we got to do something, you know? And um, we'll see what happens, but I don't really think that would be a fit for the Orioles at least maybe for the Dodgers, but, um, but we'll see what happens. But I, I, th- I don't think we're done. I think there'll be another big trade or two because free agency is pretty much done. These, these teams are evaluating where they're at standing right now. And some of them are like, man, we just need one more piece and we're right there. And, I think that that might end up being a trade piece here in the next couple of weeks, but, but we'll find out. It'll be interesting to see for sure. Matt, you, you mentioned not seeing the players, but it's world baseball classic year. Yeah, that's There's right. Plenty of players playing. They'll be yeah. playing important games. So right off the yeah. bat too, yeah, I, I do, that. I do hope that, there's no injuries or anything these guys are able to get yeah. going quickly. We already see guys at camp. I sent Damien a video, Cody Bellinger today. So uh, things are getting going. World yeah, Baseball I think, Classic soon. I believe that players who are playing the World Baseball Classic uh, report next week, if I'm not mistaken. I yes, believe you it are was correct. like the 8th or something. Um, so, I mean, we're literally just a week away from, from those players at least. Um, starting to get to camp. So it's exciting times. Uh, we'll have plenty of the world baseball classic, um, you know, coverage going on here, but um, you know, it was a good episode. Thanks everyone for tuning in to episode 112 of the bat flip podcast. And we'll catch you guys uh, next week.